What up, Southern Hills? I'm so excited to be here. I don't know why people feel bad for us living in Michigan. I love it. I wear my flannels. I kill two deer, uh, one with my gun and, and one with my car. <laughs> I, did, I killed a deer with my car. It was fun. My kids were with me, and uh, it's just got the whole full experience. It's been fantastic. We did bring the weather with us, so you're welcome. Uh, just my wife's nickname is Elsa. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. Bring the snow with us. I was like kind of disappointed. We flew in and then the next day it's snowing here because Pastor Josh uh, asked if we would come out and do the men's retreat and preach. I said, absolutely. He said, you want to come out in February? I said, let me think about that. Yes. <laughs> I was like, get out of Michigan in February to Las Vegas. That sounds fantastic. And then I'm here. I'm like, it's just like Michigan. Like there's nothing has changed. My wife is sitting right over here. If you want to why don't you go ahead and stand? I'm going to have you stand. That's my wife, Shonda. We've been married for 18 years. We have four kids. Our oldest is 15. Her name's Katie. And our youngest is a boy. His name's Zane. He's two. So we're teaching one kid how to drive, and another we're still changing his diapers. That's a little weird, you know? But uh, we, are, we really enjoy it. We love, we love coming back to Las Vegas, not because we like Las Vegas, but because we, like, we love you. And we love your pastor a lot. You have a good pastor. You guys are like a, you guys are like a refreshing well in the desert. You really are. And I know a lot of pastors are good preachers. A lot of pastors are good pastors. Your pastor's good at both. He's such a great preacher, isn't he? When I was here, amen. Let's give him a round of applause. I'm telling you, the four and, four and a half years, five years I was here, I grew so much under Pastor Josh's leadership. And my wife and I's life has changed because of his preaching, his mentorship, and influence in my life. And I know he has been with you. Look at this place, so packed, so full. My last service was full as well. It's just it's so exciting to see what God's doing here. Today, what we want to talk about out of Mark chapter number 14 is, is becoming the version of the person that God designed you to be. How many of you guys understand, if you try to become like somebody else, you end up just becoming a terrible version of that person? That's not what God's plan is for you. Every person in this room is, is very unique, and we want to see that person. We want to experience that person, that version of you. But there's things that hold us back, and we're going to talk about idolatry and what sits on the throne of our heart in just a second, but I kind of want to start off by saying this maybe illustrating it this way. I want you to imagine a river. You guys know what a river would look like, right? <laughs> I'm kidding, I know you do. But in Michigan, we have, we have rivers, you know? Uh, by the way, um, God, God moved us from the backside of the desert, crossed the river Mississippi into the land that flows with milk and honey called Michigan, I love it. So imagine going to a river and you go to your favorite spot and it's filled with trash trash. You clean it up because you're like, that's, I got to clean this up. This is my favorite spot. And you come back the next day, it's filled up again. You think, what is going on? And you can keep going back trying to clean up all the trash, or you can go upstream and find out what's causing it. So you go upstream, you find out there's a trash company dumping trash into the river. Until you deal with the company, you're always going to be cleaning up the trash. Our souls are designed the same way. There's stuff flowing out of us. And what God intends for us to 
for others to experience from our lives as love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance, the, the fruit of the Spirit should be flowing from our lives that other people around us get to experience. But what often happens is spiritual garbage tends to flow from our life because something other than God is occupying the throne of our heart. An idol. An idol is anything that I deem essential for my happiness. How many of you guys believe God is enough? That if I have God, I have everything I need for life and happiness wrapped up in him and him alone. That he is the honey and the rock. But anything other than God occupying his rightful place in our heart produces things we don't like. So the question is this morning, what is occupying the throne of your heart? And we're gonna look at three different characters today. We're gonna look at Judas in Mark chapter 14. We're gonna, we're gonna look at the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the scribes, and we're gonna look at Peter. And so the question is, what's sitting on the throne of our heart? And for Judas, one of the 12 disciples, if you didn't know who he was, even though he was a follower of Jesus, or at least pretended to be, his idol, what sat on the throne of his heart was money, mammon. It's really interesting. Money, he loved it more than he loved God. In fact, he used God to get it. That was his way of getting what he really wanted because he didn't really want God. Proverbs 23, five says, money gathers itself like the wings of an eagle and flies away. How many of you guys have experienced that before? <laughs> we, we have a casino down the street from, from where we live in Grand Rapids called Soaring Eagle Casino, which I think is <laughs> it's the most appropriate name for a casino because people's money gathers itself like the wings of an eagle and flies away. They, they don't build these casinos off of winners, my friend. That money flies away out of a lot of people's pockets. Um, but you know who doesn't ever go away is God. Judas is an interesting character. We're gonna read the passage in just a second because here's a guy who walked with God but was the biggest hypocrite in the Bible. He wore the mask. By the way, there's a difference between somebody who just struggles and somebody who's a hypocrite. A hypocrite is somebody who's pretending to be something he's not and he knows it. So his problem was an idol was in the way of his relationship with God, a, something he deemed essential for his happiness. Now, we don't see Judas bowing down to an idol and worshiping some figurine, but Judas worshiped money or positions that got him money. Money did not have a proper place in his heart. It wasn't normalized. It became a God. And so in chapter 14, verse number three of the book of Mark, just let's read the story. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon a leper, he sat at meat and there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. So this woman got saved, gave her life to Christ and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Of course, they said that within themselves. For it might have been sold for 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why trouble ye her? She's wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always. And whensoever you will, you may do them good, but me, you don't always have. She's done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I send you, wheresoever this gospel or this good news shall be preached throughout the whole world, 
This also that she has done shall be spoken of of a memorial for her. <laughs> Just think about this. It's 2023, and we're still talking about her gift. Wouldn't that be cool? Your gift to the new building program would still be talked about 30, 40, 50 years from now, and the lives that will be changed in that building. Then it goes on to say, verse 10, and Judas Iscariot, Judas, here he is, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. It's interesting about the woman, the contrast between the woman and Judas is that the woman found Jesus to be of more value than her expensive ointment. The irony of idolatry is that you end up trading in the bread of life, the satisfying one, for, for crumbs, little crumbs. For money, you're gonna trade in the bread of life, the honey, the well that never runs dry for, for crumbs? It doesn't satisfy. We often do this, by the way, to ourselves. Judas is so interesting because he, he masked his idolatry with religious facade. Notice in the text he was like, we could have sold her, her, her expensive spikenard and we could, have, we could have given it to the poor. As if he really cared for the poor, right, Leon? <laughs> he, let me ask you this. Did he really care about the poor? No, he, he, is he can't just say, I love money and I just want everybody to know about it. He's like, I have to kind of mask my idolatry with religious language. He's like, we could have sold it and given it to the poor. No, he would want to sell it and give it to himself. He didn't care about poor people. He didn't give it, care about the weak. He didn't care about the abused. He cared about himself. But he didn't want everybody to know about it. We often do this when we want something from God, though. Like, we can get hard on Judas Sometimes we will mask our idolatry, whatever that is, whatever's sitting on the throne of our heart, and add some religious language to it, and make God an accomplice in our effort to get something from him or someone. Because we believe if we get that thing or that someone from God, then that will make us happy. That's an idol. An idol is anything I deem essential for my happiness. And so we'll use God to get what we want. Could it even be your health? I'm not, how many of you guys believe God is the healer, amen? God is the giver of life. He satisfies. But I often wonder if we are asking amiss or asking God to consume upon our lusts the very thing that we would replace him with. So we're praying, God, please heal my body. And God's like, I would, I would love to but you'd totally leave me if I did. Maybe that's when you know, Paul said, Lord, take this physical ailment away from me three times. And he goes, my grace is sufficient for thee. Then Paul said, most gladly will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, God doesn't promise to take away all of our problems, but he does promise to give us his presence in the midst of it. And so maybe whatever it is we're asking God to give us, God's like, I don't, I can't, because you'll make an idol out of it. <laughs> I want you to experience me as being enough. Can God be enough? And the answer is yes, he absolutely can. I like what James 4, 4 says, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lust that war in your members? You lust and you 
You have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war and have not because you ask not. And if you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. See, folks, there's a fundamental difference between getting something from God and getting more of God. For Judas, what sat on the throne of his heart, what was produced from that God sitting in God's rightful place was greed, was betrayal, was murder, was suicide. That's what flowed from a man who had money as his God. Let's talk about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They're Sadducee, and they're, they were. They're a pitiful group of people. Look at verse 53 of chapter 14. Let's look at this next group. Let's see what sat on the throne of their heart. You know what it was? Here, I'll just tell you what it is before I read it. It was themselves. Them. Notice what it says in verse, verse 53. It says, and they led Jesus away to the high priest and Jesus was arrested at this time and they assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes and Peter followed him afar off. This is right after the Garden of Gethsemane and they took him away and this is in the middle of the night. Even under the place of the high priest and sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire in verse 55 and the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him but their witness agreed not together. You know why? Because they're liars. They're liars. They're big liars. They're bad liars. <laughs> the biggest ones ever. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to do that. Um, and we heard him saying, verse 58, I will destroy this temple that is made without hands and within three days I will build another made without hands. But Jesus was talking about his own body. He was saying, when I die, I'm gonna raise again after the third day. He wasn't saying, I'm gonna build an actual temple in three days. How many, th- how many guys think that would be pretty cool if you guys could build your new building in three days? Wouldn't that be awesome? That ain't gonna happen. Okay, so uh, verse 59, and neither did, uh, so did their witness agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus saying, answerest thou nothing? What is this which these witnesses against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. And again, the high priest asked him and said, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds. Then the high priest rent his clothes and said, What need we any further witness? You have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him guilty to death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and buffet him and say to him, prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. And so what sat on the throne of these men's hearts was not God. God was standing right in front of them. That's the irony of the story. It was themselves. How many of you have figured out that your plans are not always God's plans? And your thoughts aren't God's thoughts and your ways aren't God's ways. God has already written a script for your life, and he might re-script it a little bit, and we have to be okay with what God's plan is for our life. But what drove to the hatred and murder of Jesus was that he was, Jesus was a threat to their power and their control. He was a threat to themselves. They hated, they loathed the idea of, of thousands of people in Galilee and Jerusalem following Jesus and not them. Do you see how Jesus was a threat to their power and their control to themselves? 
Jesus was not murdered because he healed the lame. He wasn't murdered because he healed the sick and the blind. He wasn't mocked and beaten because people's lives were transformed by the gospel. He was murdered because he was a threat to their control and their supremacy. They wanted to be first. So interesting, isn't it? When you sit on the throne of your heart, you want to be your own God. Um, we live opposite of Jesus. You know, Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many, right? He modeled servant leadership. He's the guy who, he's the man God who got down and washed the disciples' feet. He said, you know, those that think they're first will end up becoming last, and those who are last end up becoming first. But these guys would have nothing to do with that. They weren't interested in serving people. They were interested in people serving them. So here's this courtroom. It was illegal, this courtroom. The Sanhedrin were a group of 70 men who claimed to represent God, and Jewish law said that they could only hold court during the day. This is at night. Capital punishment cases were to be unanimous. Not all the people were there. They were to give three days rest before a death sentence. Jesus died the next day. No court was to be in session during the Passover. It was Passover week. And there had to be witnesses that represented both sides. They had their two false witnesses, we read in the story, but did Jesus have any witnesses? No, because they weren't interested in doing things that were right. They were gonna murder Jesus for breaking the law while they were breaking the law. Do you see how evil these religious men were? Can you imagine, though, if Jesus was given the ability to have witnesses? Wouldn't that be cool? Can you imagine the, the line that'd be out the door? Can you imagine the people that'd be walking in? It's like a woman who was at the well. That was her name, woman at the middle name, well, last name. She walks up. She goes, I was seeking happiness and joy through all these men. Couldn't find it, and then I, I met Jesus, and he said, if I drink of his water, I'll never thirst again, and he sure does, and he satisfies. That's my testimony. And maybe the next guy was like Lazarus, maybe in his grave clothes still, just walking up like the walking dead. like, you know, I was in heaven, and I liked being there. <laughs> Could you imagine that guy being in heaven and be like, seriously, I have to go back, like in the desert? No. Because all I know is um, I, I, I was in a grave, I was dead for three days, and I stunk. And God rose me again from the grave. Imagine another guy coming in, he's like, all I know is... Uh, I was blind <laughs> and God spit in some mud and like rubbed it together and rubbed it in my eyeballs and now I can see. And the next person says, I never walked a day in my life until Jesus touched me. And another woman says, I had an issue for 12 years and I touched the hem of his garment and he healed me. And on, and it'd probably take him, probably take him months to go through all the testimonies because it undermined what they're really trying to do, which was to kill the person who wanted to dethrone them from his rightful place. So when God is in control, what flows from our life, when God is on the throne, what flows from our life is life giving to the people around us. When we sit on the throne of our own hearts, we produce what, produce what these men did, lies, envy, murder, hatred, that's the spiritual, unspiritual garbage that flows from our life when we think we have to be in control of our lives, even if we use religious language and pre pretend that we're so good. God sees right through that. 
By the way, you know what religion is? Religion is man's effort to earn God's favor through his good works. How many of you guys know God's not impressed with our good works? <laughs> he just loves you for who you are. So if you do do good works, just do them because you love God. Let it be an expression of love to him, not because you're trying to earn it. This isn't a performance-based religion. It's not a performance-based religion. It's a personal relationship with your creator just simply because he loves you. And that's it. And I know for a lot of you, it's like, oh, I feel like every relationship in my life is performance-based, not with God. With God, he's just, I just love you for you. That's it. And if you want to do good, do it. But because you want to, not because you have to. It's a big difference there. And I'm thankful that you have a pastor who teaches that. You have a great church. This is a great church. So let's talk about the third one, fear. Fear is a terrible God. How many of you guys would agree with that? <laughs> if you replace God with fear, let, let's see what happens. Look in verse 66. And as Peter was beneath the palace, there comes one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, and thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied saying, I know not, neither understand what you're saying. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And the maid saw him again and said, they stood by and said, this is one of them. And he denied again. And a little after that, they that stood by again said, Peter, surely you are one of them for you're a Galilean and your speech agrees. You talk like one. And he began to curse and to swear. I got to talk in a way that doesn't reflect Jesus right now. I got to pretend that I'm not a follower of Jesus. And I know not this man of whom you speak, verse 72, and the second time the cock crew, Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he what? He wept. Peter denied the Lord because he wasn't focused on God. You know what he's focused on? His fear. I mean, I think we're all honest. I think all of us would be afraid. Like, they're gonna murder him. They're gonna definitely murder me. Like, I'm, a, I'm afraid. I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid of how I'm gonna die. Anybody like that? You know, I'm on the airplane. I'm like, I don't mind dying, but can you make it quick? You know, it's like, and I'm sure Peter was thinking, I don't, I don't, I know how they kill people and I'm afraid right now. And so fear took over, fear took over. And he was focused on his fear. And fear has torment, the Bible says. How I many you guys would agree with that? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So when you replace fear with God, he replaces it with power, love, and a sound mind. He holds your heart together. Fear causes us to do things we would never do if we didn't have it. So Peter's, so Peter's the same guy who walked on water, right? He's the guy who said to Jesus, Jesus, if that's you out there in this tumultuous storm, can you bid me to come unto you? And he said, come. And this is the guy that walked on water. Well, the other 11 guys were hanging out on the boat and he's doing the impossible until what happened? He took his focus off God and put it on his fear, on the wave, that big, gigantic, nasty wave. How many of you guys know there's waves always coming in our life? And if, our, if we're hyper-focused on what could happen, worst case scenarios, I'm afraid of this, we sink like Peter did. 
And he cried out to the Lord in fear, and Jesus came and immediately grabbed him up and said, Peter, where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? The reason why he was so afraid is because he took his eyes off his creator. As long as he was looking at God, he was walking on water. The time he turned his focus off of him, he sank. And that's exactly a, a great representative of our souls. So this is, by the way, this is the same guy that went to cut off Malchus's head, right? A soldier. The same guy that says, I will follow you unto death, is now afraid to admit he associates with Jesus around a fire with a young lady. What happened? What happened was fear took over. Fear took over. So what flows out of fear? Lies, regret, loneliness, grief. Folks, fear is a terrible God. It needs to have its rightful place in our life. So what should I do this week? What should I do this week? And I want you to write these down because this will really help you to change your life. I talked about some of this at the men's retreat, which I really enjoyed. It was really fun. But number one, in order for God to sit in his rightful place in your life, you have to bond and attach to God. You have to bond to him. Um, what's the first thing people do when, they, when the airplane lands? On the plane, what does everybody do? They, what do they do? Seatbelts, not seatbelts. You know, sometimes, oh yeah, they do do that. That's so annoying, isn't it? They pull out their phone and they take it off airplane mode, right? That's the first thing everybody says. They pull out your phone, and then you hear all the ding, 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 ding. And what happens is that when you take your phone off airplane mode or you turn it on, it was designed to attach, right? So when you take it off airplane mode, you see the little thing spinning. It's searching, 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 looking for a place to connect. Our souls are designed the same way. And when that cell phone attaches to a tower, then you have access to everything that your cell phone can do. Your souls were made the same way. It was made to attach. It's searching, looking for something to attach to. And if your soul is not attaching to God, it'll attach to someone or something in unhealthy ways. And so for Judas, his soul, even though he walked with God, his soul attached to money. And so he gave money divine attributes. It was his safety. It was his comfort. It was his rescue. It was his redemption. It was his happiness. And he was willing to use God to get it. And so he had an unhealthy relationship with money. He had an unhealthy attachment to it. And sometimes if our souls are searching, it doesn't attach to God, it will attach to people in unhealthy ways. And we'll give people in our life divine attributes we'll end up demanding them to give us what only God can give us. See, people can't give you what God can. What only God can give you a proper identity. Only God can give you worth and value and purpose and meaning and destiny. <laughs> human beings can't give you that, but to demand another human to give you what only God can is an impossible task for the people around you. You'll end up sucking the life out of them asking and demanding and wanting things that only God can give you. And so when your soul attaches to God in a healthy way, bonds with him, you walking with him, then it normalizes things around you. So that food, for example, 
is just a nutritious thing I do. It's not a, it's not a comfort anymore. It's not an escape from my pain. It's now just food, what it should normally be. Entertainment's just entertainment when you're attaching to God. It's just, hey, it's just uh, something fun to do. It's not an escape from my reality anymore. It's not something I use to deaden my pain because God's been dealing with my pain. He's the balm of Gilead that's been healing my ailments, not my entertainment that just kind of pushes things aside for a little bit. And with people, when you attach to God, you normalize the people around you and you start giving them life instead of sucking the life out of them. Because you've been drawing on the well that never runs dry. You've been getting everything you need for life and happiness and fulfillment from your creator. You're able to give that to the people around you. And they're able to enjoy the fruits of God's spirit, which is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and faith, meekness, temperance. They, it's not for you to show off that you're so loving. It's for them to enjoy God's love through you. It's for them to enjoy God's peace through you because you're attached to him. So it normalizes people, it normalizes things around you when you bond and attach to God. Become healthier, not so neurotic. Number two, oh, by the way, when it comes to bonding with God, say, how do I bond with God? <laughs> Get in his word. Talk to God in prayer, bond with him. Like, remember, the, the Bible says, uh, Jesus said, if I, st I stand at the door and, and I knock, he's talking about one of the churches of Asia Minor, but he says, if any man opens the door, I will what? I will come in and we're gonna hang out. We're gonna sup, we're gonna spend time, fellowship. You know what's so crazy about God? He just wants you. He doesn't want what you do. He just wants you. He just wants you. So then... When that happens, you just kind of normalize. Money just becomes what it is. You get it and you give it and you just, it's normal in your life. It's not a God anymore. Empower, you don't need to be in power anymore because it's not what you think it is. You, you use your power to serve other people now because you're just filled. So talk to him, walk with him, read his word, pray. Number two, allow God to sit on the throne of your heart. And from his power will the fruit of the spirit flow from your life. Say, whatever it is that you have that's upstream in your heart that's sitting on God's rightful place, identify what that is today and replace it with God. I'm telling you right now, if you're unsaved, you're like, I've never given my life to Christ, today is one of the best days to do that. Replace whatever it is you've been trying to find satisfaction in and replace it with your creator, and he's gonna give you exactly what you've been looking for, which I know is love, joy, and peace. So attach to him, and allow God to sit on his rightful place. And then number three, understand that life is more about who you're with than where you're at. <laughs> life is more about who you're with than where you're at. Um, my wife, uh, she, she wanted to go to this performance called The Nutcracker, and I took her for an anniversary date. And that's not something I would necessarily go to, you know, The Nutcracker. I'd go to a football game, 
And she said, I really would like to go to the Nutcracker. I said, let's go. And so I took her to a fancy restaurant called Cygnus 27. And we ate. Uh, I ate this weird fish with the eyeballs in it. It was just like, kind of creeped me out. But then we went downstairs. And it went to the DeVos Performance Hall, walked in this beautiful auditorium. The curtain was down and the orchestra was warming up and we're sitting there like, and she's so excited. She's got her program, reading the program, just like eating the whole thing up. And I'm like, I don't know what's about to happen. And so the curtain goes up and all of a sudden, the orchestra starts up and all these people in tights start prancing around. <laughs> men in tights prancing around. I'm telling you, I couldn't look at them from the waist down. It was like, oh, man. Why? What is, what is going on here? And how do you get into this is what I want to know. If you're a men ballet dancer, please come tell me. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying, like, how did you? I'd like to know how you got into that. <laughs> and, I don't know if the Nutcracker guy was the understudy, but he had some ham hocks on him. I'm telling you what, just, those people have some powerful legs. In fact, we have one of the, the professional dancers that goes to our church, Madison Macera. <clears throat> and so it's going on, and they're all dancing and prancing around, and, you know, the Nutcracker guy, he's jumping up, doing this thing. <laughs> well, that was pretty impressive. No, not me, him. Not, and... About 20 minutes in, 20 minutes in, I look at my wife and I said, so, are they going to talk? <laughs> she, she looked at me, I had no idea. She looked at me, she goes, it's a ballet. I said, oh. no talking? I had no idea what was going on. So she had to like, all right, so now they're doing this and the, like, what is it, like the plum drops or something? I, I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> No idea what's happening. And then the curtain fell. I said, whoa, that's done. She said, that's halftime. I said, what? <laughs> she didn't say halftime. She said intermission. And we went and looked at, we looked at little nutcrackers and, you know, these little figurines are like $200. I'm like, we're buying that stupid thing. So we go back in. Another hour of people prancing and dancing around. My wife said, you recognize this song? I said, yeah, that's what, that's what they played in Home Alone and they're running through the airport. I remember that one. <laughs> I know that song. She goes, no, it's from this play. I'm like, okay, or ballet. Then my wife, when it was all over, she goes, now you know what I feel like when I, we have to watch your football. She goes, imagine us watching ballet on the TV and you serving us nachos. I'm like, is that how it's, is that really what it's like? That's horrible. And then I got to thinking, what's worse, men in tights dancing around on stage or men in tights tackling each other? Like, that's... Now you think about it, I'm watching guys tackle each other in tights. This, they're just dancing around, you know? <laughs> <I don't>, <laughs> it's kind of disturbing when you think about it now, isn't it? You're like, mm, you will never watch football the same again, guys, I promise you. <laughs> it's kind of disturbing. But that's not a place I would go. Um, but I did because of who I was with. It wasn't about where I was, it was about who I was with. In your life, you can't hyper-focus on where you're at because I know some of you are going through really painful seasons in life and you're in a situation or position you don't want to be in. It's not about that. What it should be about is who you're with in the midst of that. And who's with you if you're a born-again believer is Jesus Christ. And he wants you to experience him in a fresh and new 
fulfilling way. And maybe what God is doing in your situation is getting you to dethrone whatever it is that sits in his rightful place off and put himself there. And if you've never given your life to Christ, today's the day you can just call upon him, dethrone whatever it is your heart's been yearning after that you think's gonna make you happy and say, God, would you sit there? I think you're gonna do a lot better job. I've been pastoring for 12 years. I'm gonna tell you right now from experience, and I've been a Christian for 23 years. God is fulfilling. And maybe you've been a Christian and you're kind of like Peter, like say, but then I let fear take over and then I let this take over and then I let this and it's like you, every day you have to die daily and say, God, today, right now in this moment, you're sitting in your rightful place because I have all I need and you are all I need. You're the honey in the rock. Lord, just thank you so much for our time together. Thank you that you've given us eternal life. You've given us yourself, which is enough. And Lord, thank you for the things you've given us in our life. Thank you for the people you put in our life. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't depend on those things to give us life. I pray that as we attach to you, if we lose people or we lose things, we also won't lose ourselves in the midst of it. Lord, I don't want to lose myself because my soul's attached to things. I don't want to lose my soul because I'm attached to a human being. But Lord, we'll never lose you, so we'll never lose ourselves. So help us to attach to you and bond to you and spend time with you. And Lord, help us to replace any idol that's in our life. Lord, may your spirit flow through us and help us to become the version of the person you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.